לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. And joining me, my good friends, Rabbi Barry Chesler, Salman Schechter Day School of Long Island, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky, and the Andrei Chesed. In New York City, we are recording this uh, days before Rosh Hashanah. So we don't have a regular Parsha, a regular amazing Parsha. We do, of course, have important Torah readings on the first and second days of Rosh Hashanah, the story of Hagar and Ishmael and uh, Kedat Yitzchak. But um, I think what we want to do today for all of our listeners and viewers is try and enter the mood of the the holidays, especially Rosh Hashanah, and try and understand and focus on some of the key emotional moments. Let's face it, we're we're we are coming to Shul. We've talked about this in the last couple of weeks about you know how we make a pilgrimage to Shul, how we're we're coming into an assembly of people. And we've been trying to figure out the content of the experience of being in shul and focusing on not so much what is said, although we are very much inclined as rabbis to talk a lot and to explain a lot and to teach, but we know that uh, people come out of the service not so much remembering what we say, although we hope they do, but uh, if the service works, they come out with something in their in their mind, they may be singing a tune. I don't know how it is for you, but but when the service works, um, I'm walking home from shul uh, and I'm singing or all of the other the other melodies of Vino Malkeno and uh, and the like. And so, what I want to focus on are what are the emotional moments? What are the key emotional moments? And the emotional moments are the vehicles for those emotional moments are often the music. So uh, I'm going to start off with Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky. Emotion. We're talking emotion here. What's emotional for you? What are the peak emotional moments for you on Rosh Hashanah? Well, you know, first of all, there there are so many. And it, it is interesting, as you just were alluding to, I am, you are, we are wordy. I don't mean verbose. <laughs> I mean, like we're word focused. And I... And I feel that poetry, um, you know, is is a tremendously emotion packed thing. So I I really get the poetry, and and I also feel that uh, because I'm blessed to have pretty good Hebrew, and I know the prayer book pretty well, um, you know, it's accessible to me in a way that it is just like quantitatively less accessible to most of the people in the room. And so I do think about how it is that we. Can shape it to open it up to the maximum, to the maximum ability for people who don't know the prayer book as well as I do, or don't, or don't know know the Hebrew as well as I do. So I do think it is connected to music a great deal, and I also think that the words have a ton. So I, I will say a few things that to me are just amazing. So first of all, Natasha Hirshhorn, my chazan that I work with, 
she always in the in the kiddushah of Musa, she always hits a a real strong uplifting. Is usually the Karl Bach tune when we say Shema Yisrael in the kiddushah. The room is always soaring. And to me, one of the major things is that membership feeling. All of these Jews who haven't come to synagogue very often in the year have come now and with full throat, with lungs full of air, are saying Shema Yisrael. And to me, that is just, that's one of a, I could, I, I could go on in the course oh, of our 30 yeah. minutes together. I could okay, go on. We'll, and say, we'll do a couple of rounds of this. So, so yeah, we'll do a few rounds, but that's that, that, affirmative and you know blessedly we got a pretty full sanctuary at this point we got you know thousand people you know Shema Yisrael and he said yes the Jewish people were not dead yet is there a melody that she uses or is it is it just it's usually usually she varies it up and she usually it'll be the uh um uh the Krakow nigga the Karlbach Krakow nigga Shema Yisrael no it's not that it's uh uh, whatever, it'll come back to me. It'll come back. Barry, how about you? Is there? Key I think that I don't always go at night, um, but the Borchu and the Kaddish are very moving. The because you've waited all year for that, and then you finally hear it. And I've always been struck by that. Um, a personal favorite is Hanashah Malach, which we also say on Slichot. And um, I was thinking that I guess one of the big moments for the last 12 years or so, I've mostly been at a young Israel for um, the Amim Noraim, and everyone bows for Aleinu in the Malchuyot um, section of Musaf, and then for the Avodah on Yom Kippur. And that's, I find that to be very moving. You know, everyone makes, you know, you got to make your space so you you could bow down on the floor. And there's something very primitive, not in a negative sense, but in a very powerful sense that it it touches something, I think, deep within me. When you go... The body, it's like you're 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 in your body, and it's your whole. Because what we normally bow, you know, during let's say Aleinu, uh, you're just bending your knees. Really, it's not you know, you know it's perfunctory. But when you got to get down on the floor, you got you got to get a body down there, right? And it forces you to think differently because it's uh, it's not a comfortable position to be in. Sometimes I, when I'm doing that, I just go. Stay here for a minute. <laughs> just, just stay here for a minute. Let's, let's just, let's just, just real, you know, take a breath. <laughs> you know, it is a good pause, but it's also, it's like this. You, you are, you are coming into contact with an authentic experience. Te- you're, 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 you're being a temple experience in some ways. Yeah. Okay. So, so I want to talk about uh, an emotional moment, and and it's tied to a melody, and I'll probably get emotional singing it now because it's emo- it always gets me emotional. Which is, 
it's the it's really one of the dominant themes of uh in the music which is um da 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 so you know it 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 goes up and then it goes down mm-hmm. and and that it's mm-hmm. in a major key which which is kind of has that kind of glow about it and it takes you a little bit in, i don't know if it goes minor but it it takes you down and um i that's the man yeah that's right so i i i <laughs> i that's the melody that um uh, you know, is the Barco melody, but it's also I use that melody for the tekiya, the 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 bracha for the shofar. Baruch uh, Actually, no, for the shechiano. I'm sorry, the shechiano. Yeah, for shechiano. Yeah. So the shechiano, I'll do the bracha for the shofar with with the kind of real, you know, a lot of fervor. This it's. You know, a little, little bit of creation there, recreation. And then, So I go, it goes from the awe to the major, the minor to the major in that bracha. And I feel that that's that's what it's all about. You you have awe, but you have joy, and and um, you know it's when we were signing the Shechianu as and 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 the congregation joins me when I sing that, which is which is wonderful. That's a you know that is a a, a great experience to have everybody singing together. Um, and you're saying here we made it, we we made it, we made it to another year. Where we're going to um we're going to experience this this the chauffeur blowing uh experience you know situated where it is in the in the services is right at the apex of the of the morning between the end of the Torah reading and and the musaf right you know that it's perfectly you know placed for you know this crescendo um focuses people I think you know, there's a lot of mystery in it. I I, um, I meditate a lot on on the meaning of it. You know, because it takes you into different places. There's memory there. There's a stirring. There's even a hint of violence uh, in the music and a hint of violence in the in the fact that uh, you're taking this uh, horn from the head of an animal. Therefore, you have to, you know, you have to commit an act of violence in order to procure it. So it's it's not it's, we're not far removed from from things that are very very visceral and in in the sense that you mentioned Barry primitive not in the sense of anything um, pejorative but but authentic and and uh, you know what it doesn't get more authentic than the sound of the shofar in terms of what what a what a what a sound is it's it's a primal sound and um, you know yeah. th- primal becomes primal becomes a really good word here because. Both the bowing and the shofar. This this is not you know like like there, there was a time in, in the 19th century and early 20th century, as liberal Judaism was getting so modern and shedding so many of these like 
you know, primal associations. And and it became, oh, you'll forgive me for saying such a thing about our reform brethren. You know, like the, the reform Judaism of the late 19th or 20th century, as they would, they would have said, this is ethical monotheism stripped of all of those old associations. Yeah. And and we are we are for ethical monotheism. This is the place where you get down on the ground like your ancestors did. You bring an you bring the horn of an animal, which is like, of course, for for ancestors, their basic form of worship was killing an animal and eating an animal. I mean, long long enough ago, ancestors. So this is the place where the animal re recovers, returns. You know, we'll have we'll have we'll have some plants in in Sukkot in a few weeks. But I, I do think that the elemental, primal stuff you dig down really deep, and the sound of the shofar. Of course, the sound of the shofar is not, you know, a melody with hard. No, 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 no. It's a scream. I think it's amazing. Yeah, um, you, I, I and I, I spent a lot of time. Uh, thinking about this, I read a you know a lot about music last year. I wrote about the shofar in terms of music, and and you know I, I I gave a sermon that I really appreciated, but I don't think very many people appreciate it. You know, you know, you know, it's successful, although you know one or two, and and that you know that the the shofar is a a sound that separates the heavens from the earth, and and it's the sound that mixes joy with with trepidation joy and fear and um you know allow yourself to go there allow yourself to and I, and i really you know and i i have the 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 lungs still the capacity to blow the shofar and of course we 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 play around with how long the tequila the, the godola is and 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 all that but i i i, I blow it in order to feel it and mm. it's it's um I don't know if you have this experience, but but you know sometimes when I blow the shofar, certainly, and when I listen to the shofar, at about three or four beats in, five beats in, you get that there's a certain thing that goes through you. It's not electricity, but it's a there is a shake, and you go, yeah, and that's it. I don't know what the content of that is, but it's. Um, there's emotion there. There's joy. There's fear. There's your life. There's everything. And and um, we, we we put it all on the bima. We leave it all on the bima. That's right. Leave it on the bima. <laughs> I have a verse. Again, back to back to the to the word part. Um, in the. Our, our listeners will know, our, our, our loyal fans will know that the Musaf of Rosh is very unique structure. It's unlike any other prayer. And you've got three major themes, Malchuyot, divine majesty, Zichronot, the permanence of divine memory and attention, and Shofarot, the theme of the Shofar as redemptive and revelatory. Uh, and, and in the Zichronot, and in each case, there's the, the section is built around Bible verses, as it were, we quote the Bible, uh, back to god um a bouquet and, and these are touched these are a bouquet of verses um and in the zikronot section you know there's there's three or four from the Torah, three or four from the from the writings three or four from the prophets um and 
in from from the prophet Jeremiah in the Zichronot section, the, the divine memory or divine attention. Is Ephraim not my darling child? This child in which I delight. Whenever I speak of him, I remember him. I still remember him. My, my insides tremble. I love him so much. And will not surprise anyone to know. I'm a believer. I really am. And and I feel tremendous divine. But when I say that verse, now 29 years that I've been a parent, I, I felt the, the first time, maybe, maybe the first year that I was a parent, but in those early years, when I was leading services with little children in my in my family, I just felt that that verse was a total expression. I felt that for the first time in my life, I understood divine love. I felt that I understood how God could love could love us so much, love the world, love people so much that that my heart just trembles. And so, saying that verse just just took it home. It is amazing when when. You know the text confirms something emotional, and and um, and that's what it is, Barry. I don't know if you have a. We're going on round two here of emotional moments. <laughs> so we were talking earlier about Unitana Tokaf, which has got to be one of the greatest works of liturgical poetry, and. There are lots of aspects about it that that speak to me, and some might speak to myself. But the refrain I find to be very poo. So I, I think it was Rabbi Eliezer Diamond, our teacher and colleague, who pointed out that Mavirin is probably best understood mean to postpone, because sooner or later, and of course we hope later. We are. We get the decree of death, right? We're not going to survive Rosh Hashanah. And um, the thing that strikes me is that it makes it actually more realistic, because what are we actually bargaining for or asking God for? We just want a little more, however more that might be, and. The piece that I like is the three things, Shuvah, Tfilah, Staka, which we might understand Shuvah as a turning in, to ourselves, as a Tfilah, a turning to God, although some people would reverse them, and Staka as a turning to the world. Because the critical piece of the high holidays is not just our work with God, it's that that work has to find meaning in the world. That it come to Shul on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and think we abandon the world, then I think we miss the point. It's mm. supposed to take us back into the world, equipped to change it. For no, one of the things that I really like about that line also, I think I think people I totally agree uh, with what you said about, about 
the grandeur of this this literature thing. Um, it's because there is a well known story that associates the opposition with the Crusader uh, persecutions in the twelfth thirteenth century. Uh, that story is apocryphal, and the text is actually quite old. The text is actually back to probably the seventh or eighth century. Uh, Kalir is it, it is probably written by Kalir or someone of Kalir's orbit. Um, and I think I think modern people, you know, they, they get this thing about the three books and God decides for the righteous or the wicked or the middle. And and, and they, they think it seems fatalistic and they don't really believe that God sits up there and decides. By the way, I, I'm a total believer, but I also don't think God decides. Uh, Goldfarb, you're dying, you're dying on March 12th. That's not, that's not, that's which, not sure. which Goldfarb? Um, <laughs> Morris G or Morris F. Exactly. So, uh, uh, those people, I think they, they they read this book about the books and 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 Rosh Hashanah. It's written and it, and they think it's fatalistic, but it is the exact opposite, which is to say that the Rosh Hashanah it's written, but it's not totally written because it's not sealed until Yom Kippur. And by the way, Adiyomoto you actually you actually have. Until the day of death, God still waits for a person to become the best version of themselves that they could be, to do exactly what Barry said, to fill their lives with repentance that takes their souls seriously, with tefillah that takes their relationship with God seriously, with tzedakah, which takes their relationship to other people seriously. And this, this prayer is so powerful because it is the opposite of fatalistic. It says... Make in Heschel's phrase, make your life a work of art. Be be the most extraordinary, spiritual, worshipful, righteous person you can be. And I'll wait for you, Adio Moto. I'll wait for you until you die. So I, I want to add a peculiar uh, piece into the emotional landscape of the holidays that that I think it's gotten short shrift. Uh, in many of our congregations, because of the the way we relate to the cantorial uh, position and cantorial arts, you know, we, we are not in the golden age of cantorial music uh, anymore. Uh, that epoch, you know, was at the beginning of last century, and and with the great famous cantors, and you know, everything now is an aspiration. To, there are there are certainly amazing cantors, and there are there are certainly there are incredible people. Um, but but the audience and the music may not hit the same chord, and and I wonder what the Hinnany, for example, meant um, in a kind of earlier twentieth century audience as opposed to now. You know, people are sitting through the Hinnany and and they're not really focusing on, it, not really you know watching it. But the Hinnany was was a great dramatic moment, you know, in in the most melodramatic ways. Uh, there, there are, you know, traditions where the chazan comes in from the back. You know, I, I kind of poo-pooed it once when I had a guest chazan and he wanted to come in from the back of the sanctuary and walk up, you know, reciting the Hineni. And I didn't really appreciate it as much. I thought it was just a, a little bit much, over the top. However, uh, I'm a big fan of it. Uh, I'm a big, fan, a big fan because... The music is just unbelievable. The words are unbelievable. 
And um, I, I, you know, one early on, and I was a student. I was I was doing a, the kolbo thing. I was being the chazan and the rabbi, and I had to learn this piece. It's a very difficult. I went to a music teacher in Montreal to to learn this, uh, an opera singer, and she really, really taught me how to project and how to develop this. And and she said, you have a you know, you have to use your instrument. You have to use your instrument. You know, I said, what do you mean? I'm not playing anything. It's no, your voice is your instrument. Your body is your instrument. You have to feel it. You have to breathe it, etc. And and you know, if you get into the mind of cantorial people and singers in general, you know, you understand that they they really take the production of their of music so so seriously. It's it's about everything connected to their body. But um, you know, it's 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 an ironic uh, piece of text and ironic music because he says, "Here I am, impoverished." I'm overwhelmed by by fear, right? And and it's a very pious prayer, but it's set to the most elaborate music. And so there's, <laughs> there's 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 a bit of a joke going on here. There's like I'm so small, I'm so small, I'm so small, but I have such a big voice. Telling you how I'm telling you how how humble I am. <laughs> You know, you know, accept my prayer like like you know, beloved as it is, you know, don't uh be overwhelmed by my sins, right? Love, peace, and truth, right? So it's a it's a it's a beautiful piece of music, and it has it has a, a great musical arc in it. It's filled with drama. It, it does belong in the synagogue, but it is a cantorial concert piece too, you know. And and I guess in a way, you know, we could say that, that you know, we we've moved from cantorial art as a as a, a showcase within the as a centerpiece of of the the worship moment to putting it on the stage. Okay, so we'll go to this. We'll go to to the concert and have something experienced there. Um, but but uh, let's give a nod to the chazan here for that. For Absolutely. As the spouse of a chazan, I, I could verify you your go. words. <laughs> and, you know, we were talking before we started recording about metaphor and literalness in prayer. And I think, you know, one of the things that people forget with the Hineni is that the cantor did not compose it. Yeah, it's a script, and I often think that we miss the boat when we do not think of the prayer book as actually a script. When you go to a play or you watch a movie, you're not expecting the actors to improvise. You expect them to be faithful to whatever script that they've been given, and we judge them by how well they do that, not whether they were able to insert a soliloquy that wasn't called for by by the artist. So, you know, we one of the things that we have to appreciate is that the cantor is actually performing for us because in most fields, experts do a better job than we do. And the cantor, in a certain sense, is the expert here, yeah. the one that's trained to emote. And one of the things that I sometimes think about is that it wasn't that long ago when 
people would hire professional criers for their funerals because everyone knew that you might not emote the way you wanted to, even when it's your own dead before you, that someone else could actually shed tears in a way that would be emotionally cathartic for you. Yeah. And yeah, this is, this is huge. It Um, gives us something to think about. This is, this is really important. I think because, I think that um, so I'm a believer in sincerity and I'm a believer in honesty. Of course, I think those are really important human virtues. And we have a kind of a cult of sincerity that's like, well, if you don't feel it, you shouldn't do it or something like that. And in fact, what we have in ritual, exactly as Barry said, is the script that is supposed to take us someplace that will that will open these things up for us and and we will find the meaning by doing them according to the script. So I also like the Hinani, and and I think we should appreciate as as Barry kind of alluded to, not not only is it true that experts can do it better for the vast majority of Jewish history, most people were illiterate and were not holding a prayer book. Yes. And so so the Hazan, who in certain places in times was actually the synagogue poet, the Somebody wrote the, this prayer and it entered, you know, a canonized version. But at certain times in, in Jewish history, prayer leaders were musicians who were also poets. And they wrote something which took us places that we couldn't get there on our own. There's, there's some story. I, I don't I don't know if it's Maria Callas or some other opera singer. She's she's rehearsing and she sings an aria and she begins to weep. And the conductor says, no, no, you're supposed to make me weep. Uh, You're not supposed to. You're supposed to make me weep. You know, and, uh, and and this really works. I I'm going to speak to a guy. Marty Weingarten was his name. Zichronale Bracha. He's been dead many many years. He was he was a it wasn't a very old guy, but he was um he was older than me. But uh, he, he had diabetes and he had terrible health and he ultimately died quite young. Um, and he we were part of the minion in Philadelphia together, and he used to dive in this, and he had a big Ashkenazi accent. And then he animimas is like dying. And straight to the heart. Straight to the heart. I'm I'm interested to know, by the way, in New Jersey, you got you got sunshine coming. I don't know if people yeah, can hear, but the rain, is, the rain is battering my window. Experiencing uh, the sun as you speak. Or we had a sun shower today when I left school. And a beautiful rainbow that lasted for maybe twenty or thirty minutes. Amazing. It's lovely. I think this is this impending hurricane. But the I I don't know if if it's interrupted the our audio here, but it's quite loud. Oh wow! So I, on the note of and and we're, we're we're almost out of time, which is to what extent are we? You know, do we allow ourselves? You know, as leaders of of services, to to have those experiences, I'm always kind of like I, on on what you said, which is like, you're, it's I'm not I'm not supposed to have the emotion. I'm supposed to, you know, I'm supposed to elicit that from you. I, I um, you know, you want to, you want something. You want you want that. You want to touch something. You want to have contact with it. I think, you know, it, it it's got to work in some ways. Um, and I'm a, I'm a crier, so I do. Yeah. 
I do. I am. I am a crier. I cry in weddings and funerals all the time. I cry in in Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. The Holy Arizal, Rav Yitzchak Gloria, the great 16th century Kabbalist, said, "If you don't cry on Rosh Hashanah, that's a sign that something's wrong with your soul." Interesting. Okay. Well, we 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 do it in our own in our own way, <laughs> um, but it's it's um, it is it is an emotional. I mean, it, it's. You know, if we could just spend a minute just saying there's the color, the emotional color of that day is different from Yom Kippur. We'll talk about that probably next week. But, um, you know, as we conclude here, what what kind of emotional uh, spectrum do we do? Are we aspiring for? Are we, what, what do you want to feel? <laughs> what do you want to feel this year? What do you want to, you know, and and who are you praying for? What are you praying for? Let's let's end with with, you know, if we if we if we all went off the script and did it as jazz and said, here, give me your your wishes for the new year for Klal Yisrael, and here oh we, here we can get emotional because it's been a very very difficult year. Oh my us. gosh! I, I, so uh... what I would say is what we aspire two and four is a cleansing openness that the year has a way of closing us off and shutting us down and causing us to withdraw and one way to understand Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur it's an attempt to open us up to God and to the community and to the world Mm -hmm. and we hope that our experience on the high holidays, and it's not an accident that it's a 10-day season, will will lead us in that direction. So that by the time we hear the shofar blast, it will on Yom Kippur, it won't be the alarm or the plaintive moaning of Rosh Hashanah, but it will actually be the sound of redemption. Awesome. I I like to between the three days of Rosh Hashanah and two days of Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, I try to hold hands with my kids during the me 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 amud parts. Yeah, it's just very very intense, you know, moments, and um, and I really, whoa, Am, Am Yisrael is. We're in. Uh... We're in a series. A lot of, a lot of feeling, series. a lot of feeling for that. I, I, I want to pick up on that, if, if I may, and just talk about, um, you know, there's we're in an epoch-making time here in terms of Israel, in terms of Klal Yisrael, really in terms of the place of the Jewish people in the world, and um, it's it's striking that um, we're on the verge of a the possibility of a new formulation of our of our story the renewal of our story the renewal of the 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 story of israel the renewal of jewish peoplehood of course you know the, the, it's tremulous because this is a story that could go badly you know as things are unfolding now and we are so attentive yeah. to this difficulty in israel uh as it's playing itself out and yet it could also unleash uh, a huge amount of potential. Yeah, I, that when I'm attentive to what people are saying in Israel, they're saying, "Yeah, it's it's an excruciatingly um, tense time," but there's optimism here. There's possibility because of the way people have been opened up, 
and our our yearning for something and and we don't know what will emerge from that and so therefore we have our only option is is to hope and um and it's kavel aronai chazak aronai, which is the last line of Psalm 27, which is, you know, hope in the Lord and whatever that means, it means like pull on to something. Hope chazak becha, you know, be strong and and have courage kavel adonai, and hope hope because there's always what to hope for, even even when it seems that the situation is hopeless. There's there's really always what to hope for. And um, that's that's the bracha I think I want to I want to leave with here. In addition to the emotion, all of the emotion. So we know that uh, people are devoted listeners and watchers of this video and this uh, podcast. Uh, the Ramah community uh, is uh, been wonderful, um, and Mitch Mernick, thank you for again for being our attentive producer in the background, putting us up on the website of Ramah. Barry, you put it on, on your Facebook page and Jeremy on yours as well. And I put it on the YouTube channel. Uh, thank you everyone who's written in and commented on, on the, the piece over the year. You know what? The next time we are here together, it's going to be 57 in four. Another year, another Shana Tova. From all of us, Shana Tova, may have a good year. Shana Tova, you got it. Katiba, Katiba Tova, written in scribe for the